Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. And depending on what time of day, night or evening, whether you're listening via podcast, on demand, repeat, um, good afternoon, morning and everything else to you. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. If you have been listening um, for the live um, for the first broadcast on a Sunday, thanks to the crew from Out of the Blue diving deep for the marine news, as they always do every Sunday from 11.30 till noon. Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues. You can get in touch with the show, out of the pan 855 at gmail.com, on Twitter at Sal Gold Said So, and that's the bottom line. You can look for me or Out of the Pan on Facebook, and you can text 61401078981. Opened up with Midnight Oil from the um, live album Scream in Blue from around 1992. I can rhyme and it's not a crime. Keep doing that all day, won't we? Seriously, we won't because um, you can read about it. You would read about it. We're actually going to have a look at, um, on previous shows, had two parts of a panel which was um, supposedly called, well, it was called Are We Over the Rainbow? and didn't really seem to climb us up the one side of the arch that much. But better news came along um, after July 2014 when in September 15, I'll just get um, into the future. I think I just did a Marty McFly and went back to the future. But seriously, um, along came a panel organised by Martin Foley, State Minister for Equality, member for Albert Park, and called Beyond Marriage Equality. As I said in this panel, um, in one sense, it's sad we have to have a panel like that, but I suppose it's better we have it than not have it at all. And a good range of issues and diversity discussed um, a range of speakers, Anna Brown, yours truly, um, Tim Christodou from Minus 18 and um, myself. So let's dive in and have a listen to see what was said on actually September 23rd, Celebrate Bisexuality Day, um, which seemed an appropriate way to get beyond the rainbow, um, down in St Kilda um, and see what can um, take us beyond marriage equality. Really the discussions about where we're both at, but more importantly, where the community needs to be in the pursuit of the next set of issues that are going to build equality for LGBTI people in this state and country. Uh, Obviously, I'd be keen to point to the sort of things we're doing now, and they're not unimportant, but then equally, it's really a question of, from my point of view, starting to engage in conversation uh, both structurally within government but outside of the forms of government with the community directly around those kind of issues as to what we think is coming down the pipeline of uh, important political, cultural, social issues in the community that government needs to be attuned to. And we've deliberately called it Beyond Marriage Equality 
because whilst marriage equality at that, that totemic uh, whole of community level has such a focus, and quite rightly, because it's been uh, so important in creating the space for lots and lots of other conversations to happen, as uh, the notion around, well, for goodness sake, what is it that's holding back uh, the rights of LGBTI people? But we want to make sure that whether it's things like making sure that this um, call for the plebiscite to delay things uh, and to you know, allow the outbreak, as we almost could see happening when the very idea was dropped, to legitimise hate speech and uh, give platform to homophobic nonsense is one thing, when we know that the High Court have made it extremely clear that uh, that's not necessary and that a uh, proposition from the Parliament would more than adequately do it. That's all important, and who knows? Perhaps the new Prime Minister will um, uh, be as good as his convictions and um, uh, allow that to happen in the future. But if it doesn't, there's obviously that campaign. But in the context of that, what do we do as a state and what do we do as a community in making sure that those issues... Um, that are important to the community uh, both get delivered on, debated. It's nothing uh, like um, having a good, robust debate about priorities and what should be developed, delivered where, and how we can feed that into processes like, and I will give us a plug, uh, yesterday we had the first meeting of the whole of government's uh, LGBTI task force, of which we have uh, two members uh, here with us this evening, uh, and one of the co-chairs being me. Uh, and Jamie's in the audience, so we've got three of the uh, members uh, of the, of the, of the uh, whole of government work, workforce here. But there's actually lots and lots to do, and we've identified a series of themes around that, and we're, you know, obviously we'll hear from our speakers about those, but whether it's responding um, to disadvantage and harm and discrimination in a kind of negative frame... Uh, or whether it's responding to the challenges and the affirmation and the rights and the celebration in the positive frame. Uh, under those kind of themes, where around government and community do we really need to be thinking of next? Um, and in that positive frame, I'm particularly uh, enthusiastic about the work uh, that we can do at the community level to uh, build on that space that's been allowed us to participate in on the back of the marriage equality debate and frankly the uh, uh, years and years of hard work from so many people not just on this panel but in this room and then obviously when you get down to that responding to disadvantage uh, issues whether it's aged care housing mental health and well-being um, uh, gender services uh, responding to some of the areas of cuts uh, across other levels of government, the issue of driving HIV-AIDS uh, down to zero, um, particular needs of regional and rural communities, all of those kind of really tangible nuts and bolts issues that we need to think about building into our work program as a government, as a community, to make sure that we're serious about a real sustainable framework of building equality for LGBTI people wherever they are, at whatever stage of life they are, uh, and particularly uh, for young people as they seek to explore and identify uh, who they are. So there's lots and lots of um, 
uh, issues here, but rather than be too prescriptive, what I thought we would do, and vaguely kind of uh, agreed, I think, through the processes, is maybe just ask our panellists to first uh, just briefly identify who they are and you know what their organisational uh, priorities are when they're here, and then just get a few comments from them each about priorities, important issues in that kind of context. That should take, I'm going to guess, 25 minutes, <laughs> half an hour for everyone. Um, uh, but then more open it up to a discussion, uh, given the size of the crowd, which is, which is good, but is actually perfect for this size venue. So um, what I might do is perhaps start with you, Sally, is that all right? It's fine with me. Thanks, Martin. Welcome, everyone. I would very much acknowledge the original inhabitants of the land on which we meet and pay respects to Elders past and present. And I would also acknowledge our LGBTI Indigenous Elders and acknowledge their unique contributions to diversity and intersectionality on and around our land. And as much as I've got five minutes, I do have to take a few seconds to mention something because today is September the 23rd, which is Celebrate Bisexuality Day around the world. And it's an ideal theme that I want to focus on for um, where I'm coming from tonight. Yes, I'm a nice intersectional spaghetti junction sort of person. <laughs> and so I've got to mention not just the obvious, which often gets mentioned, but look at a whole range of things. So logically tonight, as well as the fact that it's Bisexuality Day, I'll start with the B and acknowledge something that I think we need to come up with. And I really want to talk about a theme of trying to achieve equity within the community because I'm beginning to feel deeply concerned about inequity across and within the LGBTI community. Thank you. I did that without moving my lips. <laughs> and I've noticed this a lot. And I almost have to say, as the microphone fetishist that I am, <laughs> I almost didn't want to be on a panel that says beyond marriage equality because I don't see it as the first issue or the only issue. All the issues are equal, yet I feel a lot of people are getting disgruntled and the ultra-marginalised, where there is what I call double whammy discrimination and discrimination from a range of angles, I think are even feeling more so. So I wanted to start then on that note on Celebrate Bisexuality Day by noting that bisexuals have far worse mental health um, even than gays and lesbians. I don't want to make it a hierarchy of the oppressed, but we have to acknowledge that reality. And if we're going to do something about that, it means service provision. And I think we're also at a point where really we've got enough research. A, bi a, a piece of research that is primarily bi-focused is something Australia doesn't have but we really have to get to a point where it's to all three levels of government, to all stripes, put your money on the table, Mabel, when it comes to LGBTI, particularly for bi people. It is not equal at the moment. And I look out at that street out there, which every year we walk down on one of the two big days of Melbourne's year, and every year the bi group for 10 years has faced biphobic taunts from the crowd, things like, get off the fence, make up your mind, yes, it's inane, yes, it's stupid. But the only way we can fix that is through education, but we can't do it voluntarily after hours or um, on our um, weekends or whatever. It needs to be funded. And it's really not good enough in 2015. 
And there's also something else which underpins a lot of what I want to say tonight. We are in this city. I'm very grateful that I live here. It's a good city for diversity. Is it perfect? No. But we're well ahead of a lot of cities in Australia and in the world. Um, visiting American educators, um, and this has been said publicly, Janet Hardy, a well-known author, said that Melbourne, the tribes, work together reasonably well. It's one of the best she's seen in the world. Well, that's strength. We need to build on that and to keep it going, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And in that sense, I really feel that that is very important, that we keep doing that, but we can only do that if we reduce the inequity and start building equity within and across LGBTI. So that's the B in general terms. It just needs education. It needs awareness that by people, yes, we do exist, all that sort of thing. We um, don't need to get off the fence. As we always say, get on the fence. There's a lovely view. But <laughs> we just need a fair guide to get rid of that inequity. Um, so talking trans, I think there's a lot of obvious things that need to happen, and that's birth certificate reform, based on affirmed identity rather than the current surgical basis. And I think there's already been some good progress underway and with the two um, committees as well as the whole of government, one that Martin mentioned, I think that that will be pretty easily achievable and there's good cooperation across the trans and gender diverse community and I, would, I think there is a plan to consult with the trans and gender diverse community. Um, but there's other things, and one of the critical things, and I'm not going to go into detail as I look at Ruth, is trans health. Um, the situation is really dire, both in terms of the outcomes of depression and anxiety. I'd urge people, difficult as it is to read the Curtin University report, um, the first Australian trans mental health study, which came out in March this year, 918 plus trans and gender diverse people surveyed around the country depression four times more likely than the average anxiety, 50% more prevalent over a lifetime. That's a crisis. Let's not screw around with words here. And the problem is that there's one of many aspects, there's a whole range, and I'm going to cover state and federal without going into too much detail. Um, first of all, the shortage of trans knowledgeable and sensitive health professionals is critical. Yes, there's great clinics like Northside, where Ruth is, uh, may it be blessed, and Paran, but we need more. We need to have, um, in a Victorian context, someone in Mallacoota or Mildura needs to be able to go to their local GP for both a trans-specific issue, such as coming out and not be based stuff like, well, what would you do, what would you do that for, which is happening, but also for non-trans stuff. If I, if I use myself as an example, even though I'm not in Mildura or Mallacoota, if I have a sprained ankle, I don't want to give a 10-minute education to, my, to a GP on trans when I'm worried about, oh, God, I'm, my pain's killing me. Do I need a heat pack or an ice pack? You know, it is happening, and it's a real, real issue. And it is similar, granted, for gay, lesbian, bi, and intersex as well. There's other issues, granted, which cross over into the federal level, and that's the lack of um, trans treatment in the public system which includes the fact that there is a $15,000 out-of-pocket cost for trans women in relation to surgery that is not covered by Medicare or private cover, and that leaves many trans people stuck. They need that surgery, they can't afford it, particularly if they're trapped on Centrelink benefits, and that's really, really worrying. Um, similarly, we have word that endocrinologists, believe it or not, still believe that um, trans is an experimental procedure and therefore will not perform trans hormone um, processes. 
That's outright discrimination, both state and federal, and that has to change. And I'm sure with the right networks and lobbying, we can achieve it. Um, but we also need to look at innovative situations. I earlier today met with someone I never, I didn't know existed, a medical coach. People have heard of life coaches. Um, they help people through medical processes in a sort of neutral way. I think that's something we could explore. There's all sorts of innovative ways we can do it. Um, so documentation, other legal discrimination that still exists against trans people, religious exemptions, which um, covers all of LGBTI, and I think Anna would be able to go into that in more detail, so I won't duplicate, but also the sport exemptions that affect trans and intersex. They are sex and gender stereotypical, and they're simply not on in 2015. That someone, it's always this idea that a, in inverted commas, a tall muscular woman is a cheat. That is just not good enough. That's outright vilification, in my opinion. That's where it comes from, and it's not good enough. And here we are at AFL football time. Every time a, a male footballer gets bigger or heavier, oh, isn't that amazing? They're not considered a cheat. It's sexism. It's not good enough in Victoria or anywhere. Um, and um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, to give one example of what I call the layers of inequity, and that is the issue of the current laws affecting people who work in the sex industry, which LGBTI people do, and particularly trans people. So where there's that form of double whammy discrimination, that's a real problem. And I know many people, um, it's always, I'm always wary about beginning a sentence with, some of my best friends are, because that's been misused. But I can honestly say that some of my best friends are people who work in the sex industry, and they're amazing, emotionally intelligent people who have much to contribute to anything. Yet many people who say, look, I love Melbourne as a city, including a queer city, but I can't work here. The laws are ineffective, restrictive, unfair. I'm going up to New South Wales. Well, hang on. We, we can't lose people to Sydney now, can we? You know? And, hey, we just kept the, we can keep a Grand Prix. Surely we can keep human beings. But the, seriously, I want to put something across. Ten years ago, we always heard overwhelmingly that queer young people were leaving regional and rural areas to come to the city. And, um, you know, that's not enough on regional and rural areas. So why should anyone leave anywhere for being who they are? And my last point um, on margins within margins, the From Blues to Rainbow, um, Rainbows research um, on trans young people found that 11% of those trans young people are in open and or polyamorous relationships. I would believe that would cover the whole population. If Victoria is going to keep its place as a leading queer's place in the world, we have to look at these issues and be bold and not count pander to prejudice about slippery slopes. They're good for skiing, but that's all they're good for. We can do it. We have the ability. We have lots of intelligent, creative people. I'd like us to set a bold agenda that can make these inclusive and respectful to all. Thank you very much, David. And uh, even though uh, alcohol and drugs fall within my um, portfolio responsibilities and I encourage all things in moderation, please don't stop buying drinks from the bar to support <laughs> our friends at Rabada here. Um, I'll throw to Anna next. Anna has many, many hats, uh, but obviously under that whole issue of human rights and her legal background, Anna brings a particular strength to the justice uh, and legal issues around LGBTI equality issues, and I'll ask her to perhaps comment in that frame. So whatever you think is yeah. appropriate. 
Well, Sally's been extremely comprehensive on quite a few issues, but unfortunately there are some leftover issues as well. Um, I guess the starting point for us is that we obviously want to get to a place where our communities are equal, and it still is absolutely astonishing that I think we're the only um, population groups um, within Australia where the law actually still entrenches discrimination and inequality that not only is damaging in lots of ways, but really devalues our work to the community. So all of the other really valuable work that's happening in the mental health and general health area is really diminished every time a young person hears that they can't get married or they can't adopt children or that it's okay for a faith-based organisation to kick them out of school if they find out that they're queer or any number of a range of situations that still um, in, you know, tolerated um, within our legal framework. So I guess that's our starting point and that's what um, is so exciting about Victoria at the moment is that we're getting to the point, I can see the finish line, we're getting to the point where there will be no inequality left in our statute books and that's incredibly exciting. That's obviously a big thanks to people like Martin and the equality agenda of the current government. So let's all give them a clap. <laughs> So what have we got left to tick off? We've got adoption equality, which should be hopefully coming very soon. Um, we've got um, the more prickly issue of religious exemptions in our discrimination laws that Sally talked about. Um, unfortunately, we do have these very broad um, exemptions that allow religious organisations and individuals a free licence to discriminate against not only LGBTI people, but um, unmarried people, single mothers, breastfeeding mothers, um, any number of people which really shouldn't have to s suffer the threat of discrimination when they're accessing basic services. And we're talking about things like homelessness services, aid, aid, well, fortunately not aged care anymore, thanks to some federal reform, um, mental health services, services where people need to not, you know, need to have the confidence that when they walk through the door, they'll be treated as a human being first and not have the threat of discrimination hanging over the um, doorway because that doorway happens to be owned by a faith-based organisation. So um, that really is a challenge for us as a community and um, to keep talking to government about these issues because the, the Labor Party did commit to some changes, um, some improvements, but we need them to go further and we need um, religious organisations who largely don't want to discriminate. If you talk to them, um, if, you talk, if you look at the experience of removing these exemptions in the aged care space, what we saw was that um, people like Sally were out there training these providers, and I'm sure she can speak to this herself, but the overwhelming feedback from these organisations was positive. They wanted, they want their clients and their patients to be confident they're receiving the best quality care possible. So I think there's no reason why we should be stopping stopping at um, employment, which is the area that government's currently focus on, focusing on, but also looking at um, removing religious exemptions in all areas of service delivery, hopefully all together one day. Um, let's hope we can get there. Uh, there is, sorry, there is still more on the list in terms of um, <coughs> formal, in a, formal inequality and um, we get we get here to I guess some improvements like Sally mentioned the exemptions 
again in anti-discrimination law that prevent intersex and transgen transgender people from competing in sport. Um, and also, when you obviously look at the federal level, marriage is the big one, but issues, I guess, in the general area of family, as well as adoption, we're talking um, surrogacy and, um, I guess, inclusive practice when it comes to parenting and um, early childhood and those types of issues. So that's where we move from uh, the formal inequality to, I guess, really looking at, well, what's the impact on the ground? What do we need to change in terms of practice? And that, that means making sure that every area of government service delivery is inclusive of our communities and our needs, whether it's health, whether it's aged care, whether it's mental health care, homelessness, all of Martin's other portfolios. Um, when it, so it's very, it's very convenient that we have the Minister for Equality overseeing the, the delivery of those services to our communities. Uh, I guess what I, I, I guess to finish, and I'm happy to talk for longer, but I'm conscious that we want to have some good discussion as well. Um, what I think is really exciting about Victoria is the potential for us to play a leadership role um, in Australia and um, the other states at the moment are there's a lot of reform happening in a lot of areas, um, whether it's relationship recognition or adoption or um, removing um, procedures <coughs> of um, discrimination in other areas of law, um, which, you know, whether it's religious discrimination or even, just to pull out an example, the treatment of transgender people in corrections facilities and those sorts of issues that we really have to delve into the detail of. If we, Victoria, with its... Um, new task force, its minister and its um, equality branch in government can really start looking and unpacking these issues and developing some best practice. I'm hopeful that other states across Australia will have a blueprint and a roadmap for achieving equality in those states as well. Because when I look across to South Australia, when I look across to Western Australia, not only do we have governments that are much less friendly to our communities, but we also have less organised I guess civil society, we don't have LGBTI groups that are, are as developed there. So I think there's a real need for that reason to, be, to, to make sure that Victoria is doing the best that it can and to lead by example. So um, there's lots of reasons why we need to keep forging ahead and why it's really important that the government keeps the momentum up and achieves as much as it can over the next four or well, three and a half years. Um, of government. So I'll pass over to Ruth, or should I let you introduce oh, her? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Can I introduce Dr. Ruth McBear, who I've known her until very recent times um, at a personal level, but I've certainly known her by reputation as that leading campaigner to embed uh, LGBTI inclusive practice and uh, in the health system in particular but an all-round champion of uh, health and rights for LGBTI people. And um, maybe ask her to focus in her brief introductory remarks on that area. But whatever you think is appropriate, Ruth. It's great to be here, thanks for coming. Um, I'm sort of jealous, because I started in this area in fertility uh, access rights, and so adoption. I'd love to be on the justice working group, but anyway, I'm never doing it. I'm going to be most involved with the health and wellbeing aspect of this work and I'll just give you a little vignette which I think says a lot. Uh, this was a 
woman who was in our focus group, I was running a research project for Beyond Blue around help-seeking amongst rainbow women, they called them. And this woman, who's a young woman, she's bi-identified and lives in a rural area in Victoria, said she went to a doctor and said, hi, I'm bisexual. And the doctor said, oh, so you want to change gender? And she was so horrified, she went away and never went back to that doctor or any other doctors for several months, despite having health problems, because she was just shocked by the complete ignorance. Now, that shouldn't be happening in the 21st century. This is appalling. And so one of the issues that I want us to do uh, to prioritise is mainstream health care, and that's whether it's private or public, uh, is up to speed with our issues. And this is the language we use for ourselves, it's our identities, it's our behaviours, it's what we need from health providers in a general case. You know, I think Sally's example of going in with your sprained ankle and being grilled about what happens when you're trans, well, that shouldn't be happening either. So we don't want to be pathologised. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's the lowest common denominator to be able to go to a healthcare provider and be treated as an equal person, as a member of society, um, as someone with specific needs perhaps around your LGBTI status, but who also needs quality healthcare. So, you know, we've got some really big ideas about how to improve the mainstream healthcare facilities. Um, you know, at, at state level, we have an amazing community health network in Victoria. I mean, it's pretty much the best in the country around community health centres that are regional, rural and urban that have a range of services that our community desperately need, drug and alcohol work, mental health work, primary care, um, and just general counselling. So these services uh, have a state remit, and they're funded by the states. And uh, Ro and I, Ro Allen, who's the new commissioner for gender and sexuality, uh, have this sort of plan, Safe Schools Coalition for Community Health. You know, why can't it be like that? Rolled out to every community health service in Victoria, in Australia. Uh, there's one community health service in Victoria that has a rainbow tick at the moment, Mary, and good on them. They must have had really good champions in that service who stood up and said, we want to be really good at LGBTI healthcare. Um, and they need support to maintain that. If they can do it, everyone can do it. And if it's government endorsed and supported, then every community health centre will do it. And I think that's really achievable in the next two or three years, to put it on the agenda, to bring them along. You know, I don't want it to be a situation where the community health centres, let alone any other health centre, are being given the, the stick approach to, you've got to do this or else. I want them to feel like they want to do it. And as we've experienced in aged care, the aged care providers are actually out there saying, we don't know enough about this stuff. Oh my God, what a huge gap. This is something really important, and so we want that to come from community health as well. We don't know enough about this, we need to upskill, we need to do a better job. And that's, I think, very achievable. So, you know, that's mainstream services. I mean, there's, as a GP, I'm also constantly horrified with stories I get in my clinic from people who've been to other GPs and had negative experiences, whether it be a lesbian asking for a pap smear and told she doesn't need one, again. Uh, she's built up the courage to go in and then she started to need one. To, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and again, I think general practice is sort of primed to receive this information and to do a better job, um, so long as we give them enough uh, 
accessible and easy to find training. So, you know, mainstream, we've got a lot to do, but I think we can achieve it. Uh, the other big area which came up for me again in this work I've recently done around the research, but, you know, again and again we heard it on the last couple of ministerial advisory committees, was around peer support for health and wellbeing. And, you know, peer support is the backbone of what the LGBT community do for ourselves. We have so many fantastic support groups in the state, but most of them are completely unfunded uh, and run by volunteers who burn out quickly. And we've all experienced it, you know, in this room, I'm sure everyone has been involved in some way in this over the years. And what we're interested in, I think, is to create a peer support system that's actually <coughs> supported, that's uh, facilitated to be sustainable, that we can uh, perhaps train up peer support facilitators to know things about confidentiality, things about uh, stress management for themselves and the people in the group, maybe things about in-group fighting and how you work through uh, conflict in a meaningful way. You know, I hear it a lot from groups, you know, they're trying to do the best they can, but there's quite a bit of identity policing. We've all experienced it. Do you really belong to this group? Which label do you apply? Uh, and, you know, for the most marginalised people who need to belong to a group, they're probably the most likely to be excluded from a group. And so this is an opportunity for us to try and look at, well, how can we support, you know, support groups in a very meaningful way? that will enable sustainability and them to work as well as I can. So I think we can do a lot in that space. Uh, I might have set it up at the moment. I'm very happy to go in any direction you like down track. Oh, you know, a big one I wanted to mention, uh, which I guess is around mental health. I agree with Sally that mental health is probably top of the issues in terms of health care needs in our community. Uh, and this is across the LGBTIQ spectrum. Uh, but I also agree that there's a range of inequalities within our uh, subgroups. Uh, a lot of people, by included, um, are worse off potentially than the, the more mainstream LG groups. Uh, and trans and gender diverse people certainly feature in that as well. So, you know, I'm acutely aware of the difficulty of accessing uh, good, publicly available counselling for trans and gender diverse people for the whole community. So I think we have a lot to do there around how do we get an accessible system for our subgroups. Um, okay, I think I've said enough. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ruth. And our <laughs> speaking of peer support groups and at least someone at the table who's under 30. I'm not doing it as <laughs> Tim uh, from Minus 18 uh, to be able to speak firsthand, particularly from that uh, younger person approach um, on these important issues, and particularly about how Minus 18, I think, has shown in the last few years as to how a organisation of peer support, running on less than the smell of an oily rag, uh, can deliver such outstanding results. And perhaps what is the secret to that success? Well, thank you very much. Um, just want to apologise 
in advance if I do topple off the stage. I'm very precariously placed at the moment, so if I just disappear, carry on. Um, but I suppose just speaking to Minus 18, um, we are Australia's largest youth-led organisation for LGBTI young people. Um, we have about 50 volunteers who are under the age of 25, um, who run all of our programs in schools, um, during school holidays, and um, we try every fortnight to hold um, events for young people as well. So um, I think the fact that we are youth-led is probably the biggest point of difference for us, um, particularly um, compared to some of the other organisations, I suppose, in our community. Um, and when I say youth-led, I don't just mean our volunteers. In fact, all of our staff members, myself included, are under the age of 25. 50% um, of our board members are under the age of 25, so we definitely try to have that um, young person's drive, I suppose, and perspective throughout every level of the organisation. Um, and I think what we've seen um, since we began in, I think, 1996, um, a very long time ago, um, was that... <laughs> I should actually also clarify that makes me one year older than minus 18, which is slightly terrifying. Um, but um, I think the thing that we see is that um, since we began, when we had um, young people really signing booklets and resources that went into schools, um, was that young people actually resonated with our resources because they were written and created by young people. Um, that also included, I suppose, um, the design of them and the photography that was used in them. I think Minus 18 resources were the first in a very long time, if ever, that had people on the covers who looked happy and smiling, facing the camera, saying that, you know, just because I'm gay, just because I'm bi, just because I'm trans, doesn't mean that I'm going to have the terrible life existence. And I think that was a really big turning point for a lot of young people in schools. Um, I also think that the work that we do with the Safe Schools Coalition, which is a great organisation funded by the state government here, but also by the Commonwealth government, um, with a program called uh, the Standout Network. Some people in this room might be familiar. Um, which is all about really empowering students to stand up and figure out ways that they can create change in their communities to actually fight homophobia, biphobia and transphobia and make sure that schools are doing more to make their events more inclusive um, and to make sure schools are doing more to um, celebrate diversity, I guess, whenever they encounter it. Um, through that network we have, um, I think, 500 students, if not more, um, in Victoria signed up who are um, actively doing events and raising awareness about um, the LGBTI community and the students in their schools, which is amazing. Um, but there is still more work to do on the ground, I think, um, particularly when it comes to things like sex ed. Um, it is, you know, the number one thing that we hear back from young people coming to our events, um, that young people are simply not being taught what they should when it comes to sex ed because of prejudices and because um, of what um, certain teachers might think about what they should be teaching. Um, whenever I talk about sex ed, I find it very important to stress that my boyfriend's mum is actually a sex ed teacher. Um, and often, um, you know, when you think about that, that would be probably a pretty, you would imagine it would be an awkward experience for my boyfriend when he was in school, um, having sex ed classes and having his mum um, running them. Um, probably not the best existence at school, I would imagine. But um, the thing about that is, um, I think a lot of the time it comes down to the individual teachers about what they're teaching and making sure that it is inclusive. So I suppose the plus side of having um, Connor's mum running the programs was that she actually had a very good mind for a lot of um, 
these sort of stuff. She was very aware that there were going to be students in her classes who were LGBTI, and she was teaching them what they needed to be teach to be taught. Sorry, um, which is obviously a really positive thing. But you know, it shouldn't necessarily just come down to what individual teachers want. It should be across the board, and it should be happening um, in every classroom. Um, I also think as well for students, um, particularly students who are trans and gender diverse, um, I think um, the next big challenge for them is, um, and challenges I think we're starting to address now, um, is the ability for those students to wear the uniforms that they want to wear, um, to be addressed by the names they want to be addressed with, um, and for the correct use of pronouns. It seems like pretty trivial stuff, um, but these make a huge difference um, to students when they do go to school and actually actively engage with classes and turn up every day. Um, all the research has shown that schools are the place where homophobia, biphobia and transphobia happens the most often. Um, and the direct result of that is that students don't go to class, um, they don't go to school, they end up on the streets invariably during school hours, which is obviously not what we want to see happening. Um, so I think there is a lot of work to do. Um, I think priorities for minors going forward um, would be maybe to see us grow out of Victoria. I think that would be cool. Um, and probably number one of the other number one pieces of feedback we hear. Um, I think it's, you know, I think as we live in Victoria and we live in Melbourne in particular, um, I think it's pretty evident that we're pretty lucky in terms of the support networks um, young people have access to here. Um, that's certainly not the case in places like Adelaide, in Perth, um, certainly not the case in regional or rural areas. Um, so I think seeing more organisations um, that do provide that sort of peer-to-peer -peer support and provide those social networks that so often are so necessary to fight um, mental health problems and social isolation, um, I think that would be really great as well. Um, but I might leave it there and open it up to questions, I guess. Uh, thanks, Tim. And can I just say something about the impressive groups? We're seeing that every time they've been running around the state are those young people, LGBTI support groups in places like Warrnambool, the Mornington Peninsula and Odonga, just even on no money whatsoever. Um, and the work they do uh, in some pretty hostile environments is absolutely awe-inspiring. And um, uh, how they get out of bed every day and just keep back in the way is, is really, really heroic stuff. Um, so. What I thought we would do um, is perhaps just throw it open to uh, questions and comments. The place isn't that big that I think, unless, unless you want to, you could use the microphone or just um, uh, identify yourself and um, indicate if you want to ask a question or make a comment, whatever. And we'll just play it by ear for a while, but I'm sure, given the quality of the audience, that there'd be lots of things to ask uh, a quality panel up here. So just some of the things um, spoken about at the Beyond uh, Marriage Equality panel held on September 23rd, Celebrate Bisexuality Day um, in St Kilda, featuring a range of Victorian advocates covering a range of issues. Good to see and good to hear. Um, does feel like maybe the, um, the wall has broken on making sure we get all forms of inclusivity um, covered and recognising the diversity of our rainbow, or as I am sort of beginning to call it the EVS, E-V-S, community, which is apparently short for what EVS, but don't, as always, don't ever say that. It's two, 2010. All right, take it out today. Well, it seems like we're all coming back together and we're healing. So with that atrocious pun, let's have um, a track from the John Lee Hooker album of 1989, 
The Healer featuring Carlos Santana and the Santana Band with John Lee Hooker and The Healer. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.